to Jesus. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. He's glad to be in God's presence tonight. Amen. So thankful for the Spirit of the Lord that's here tonight. And um, I want the Lord to have his, his perfect way in this service. And uh, I believe he's going to do that tonight. If you've got your Bibles, I want to go to the, quickly to the book of Esther. We have a lot of visitors with us from other churches here tonight. Some guests from out of town. This is a concept. These are concepts that um, I want to preach to this church tonight. And, um, and while I'm very well aware that there are other needs here represented. There are many things that we could talk about. I believe the Spirit of the Lord will touch each and every situation. And um, just so the Life Church will understand, there are those that have come tonight to receive the Holy Ghost. So let us feel the responsibility of creating an atmosphere that's conducive. And that's what we've been attempting to do. Praise God. Esther chapter number one, it's been a an honor to be with you, and uh, it's a great church, and I'm just looking forward to what the future holds. We love the pastor and his wife and their family, appreciate their friendship, appreciate their burden and um, passion for the kingdom, and uh, this church is blessed. This church is blessed. And, uh, Esther chapter number one. You just bear with me. I'll I'll get revved up here in a minute. I'm battling allergies, but Holy Ghost is going to help us here tonight. Esther chapter number one, verse number nine. And Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to the king Ahasuerus. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry, he commanded. And he goes through and he names seven. And tonight, I don't have time. This is normally about a two or three sermon series that I could do, but I'm just going to try to cram as much of it in tonight. So tonight, those names are not important, but it's very important for you to understand that these were seven chamberlains. Somebody say chamberlains that the king sent to beckon the presence of the bride. Verse number 11, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princess her beauty. Somebody say beauty. For she was fair to look upon. But the queen Vashti refused to come 
at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Now understand that we have a mixture of backgrounds here today. And um, if you're second, third, fourth generation Pentecost, you may be somewhat um, aware and understand some of the terms and concepts that I'm going to talk about tonight. But even third, fourth, second, third, fourth generational, we need to freshen up in these areas. And then if you're here in your first generational, it is very critical that you grasp a hold of this tonight because in this as far as I'm concerned, and what I'm going to talk about tonight, everything stems from this. Everything. And you won't hear this preached a lot anymore. It's not real popular. Um, but I believe that I'm in a church tonight that desires the favor of God. And, um, well, I wish I had four, five, six, a couple months worth of services left with you. I don't. And so I prayed and I asked God, what would, what could I give them? What would you have me to give them that would benefit them most tonight? And he just kept bringing me back to this place. And so I want to talk to you about the chosen bride. The chosen bride. And because um, I believe that this is a church that uh, desires to be used of God and desires the favor and the blessings of God. And it's very critical that you understand that blessing and favor just doesn't happen. It, it doesn't just... Blessing and favor just doesn't all of a sudden just show up. There are certain attitudes, spirits, lifestyles, uh, a specific way in posturing yourself as humanity in order for God's favor to be upon you. I want to show you a few things tonight. Uh, God's given me this a while back, and I, I, I really have... I, re- I really believe that this is going to help us. I want to talk to you about the chosen bride. If you would, put your Bibles down. Just raise your hands one more time and ask the Lord to move in this service. Thank you, buddy. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, if you're here and you want to be favored of God, if you're here and you want to be blessed of God, if you're part of Life Church, if you're part of another church, this is not your home church, but you want your home church to have the favor of God, the blessing of God, I'm asking you to open your spirit and your heart and your mind. Praise God. Praise God. Clap your hands to the Lord again. Clap your hands to the Holy Ghost again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm pleading. I'm pleading for your undivided. Really, I want you to listen to what i got to say tonight. You can be seated. Uh, 
I uh, sometimes enjoy reading the arguments um, or the opposition or the cons against certain issues or questions or doctrines or books of the Bible. And there is um, (laughs) several things uh, that you can get into concerning the book of Esther. And believe it or not, there are a lot of, I say a lot, but there are people that would um, argue that it does not belong in the Word of God. And seeing that it's never, God's name is never mentioned throughout the book of Esther, uh, there are those that have actually tried to prove that it's not supposed to be in this Bible. But the more that I read this story, and the more that I try to grasp what God would be saying to us through inspiring the writer to write this, I begin to realize that if there's anything in the Old Testament that speaks to us as a New Testament church, it's the book of Esther. If there are any concepts as a New Testament church that we need to grasp in the Old Testament, it's contained in the book of Esther. And I began to pray and I began to ask the Lord to show me what He was trying to say to us through the book of Esther. And I am so uh, assured that it's right and that it belongs. And I, I, I want to share a few things with you here tonight that I've gleaned from the book of Esther. Just to give you just a little bit of setting, just a small setting of what is going on here. There is a very secluded party. There is a secluded separation, uh, celebration. There is, uh, there is a celebration going on that is reserved for a certain type of people and a certain uh, level of people. It's, it's, it's not open to everybody. It's very contained. But the Bible says that as, uh, as the celebration rocks on and as the party goes on, that the king decides that he is going to open up the party. It's more than just for a secluded uh, group of people, more than just a certain uh, sect of society. But I want to open it up to everybody. I want to give an invitation to anybody in the kingdom, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether uh, you live in wealth or you live in great poverty, whether uh, if someone knows your name, you come from a rich bloodline, or whether nobody knows your family. I want to broaden the invitation of celebration to everybody. Come, whoever will, whoever wants to be a part of this celebration. And as he broadens the invitation to the celebration, the time of happiness, the joy, all of the events that are happening in this great time, the Bible says that he sends a chamberlain to the house uh, of uh, Vashti and uh, he asked this chamberlain to beckon or to call for the bride to come out of her hiding and to come that everyone could see her beauty, that everyone could look upon her fairness. 
And I began to realize sometimes back, sometime back through much study that this was not something at all uh, that he was doing out of lust. If you were to study the words here in the text, you would realize that it was not in a lustful manner. It was not something that uh, he was doing in desire to bring his bride out and to pray to her in uh, some provocative manner. It was not, he was not asking for Vashti to come out of her seclusion, uh, half-dressed or uh, looking some kind of some sensual manner in order to entice uh, those people into some kind of sexual uh, beauty or lust. It wasn't that at all, but really, many of your historians believe that there was a beauty. In fact, they used the word beauty because it's more than just the color color of her hair or the tone of her skin, but really it was a light, there was a glow, there was something beyond just outside beauty concerning the bride. And the king desired for the entire kingdom to see her light, to see her beauty. Just stay with me here for a few moments. He desired it not to be uh, hidden in a closet somewhere or secluded in a, in a room somewhere, but he wanted the entire kingdom to be able to look upon the bride the brightness of the bride and the and, and the light and the beauty of the bride. And so he sends a chamberlain down to call her out of her hiding. Not only does he send one chamberlain, but he sends seven chamberlains. These, these seven chamberlains are named in the tenth verse of the first chapter of Esther. Each chamberlain beckoning the bride to come out of her hiding. Come on, the king wants... You to come out of your seclusion. The king wants the world to see your light. The king wants the world to see your beauty. But each time she refuses in stubbornness, she's stiff-necked. She says, no, I will not come. I will not leave this place of seclusion. I will not leave where I have placed myself. But what is critical for us to understand tonight is those that were knocking on her door, those seven men that were knocking on her door, were not just any men. The Bible calls them chamberlains. Now listen to me. If you don't get this, you're going to miss the entire message. For you to understand what a chamberlain is, really, uh, just plainly for you to really grasp what it is, these chamberlains were the keepers of the house. Somebody say the keepers of the house. These men understood what the king liked and what he disliked. If there was anybody in the kingdom, Brother Brown, that knew exactly what pleased him and displeased him, it was the keepers of his house. They knew the smells he liked. They knew the smells he disliked. They knew the colors he liked. They knew the colors he disliked. They knew exactly the way he liked his bed made. They knew exactly the way that he liked his pillows fluffed. They knew exactly the way that he liked the, his food prepared. They knew exactly the way that he liked the table set. They knew exactly what pleased. If there was anybody that was close on a consistent basis to the king and to his desires, it was the keeper of the house. The keeper of the house was more uh, was was closer to the likes and the dislikes of the king more than even the bride herself. He had an inside. He had a, a closeness. He had a revelation if you would allow me to say it like that. He knew what it took to please the king. He was the one that just in, inconspicuously was uh, in the presence of the king doing his business. He was the one that would 
uh, that would hear the things that would anger the king or that would please the king or that would bring him sadness or that would bring him joy. It was not just anybody knocking on the door that day. It was the keeper of the house of that kingdom. They were asking the bride, come out of your hiding. Come out of your hiding. I need your attention. Some of you are just straying off here. I'm, I'm trying to preach to you here tonight. Come out of your hiding. Come out of your seclusion. Brother Marks, what does this have anything to do with us? I hear a certain sound. I have heard a certain sound for over a year now. Every preacher, it seems like that I hear preach. Every pastor that it seems like that I talk to from the east to the west coast. There is a certain sound. It is God, the King of Kings, the ultimate King. And He is desiring that His bride come out of her seclusion. He is desiring that the bride of Christ be revealed to the entire world, her beauty and her light. If there is any certain sound that I hear from the pulpit, it's men of God beckoning the people of God. Let's get church out of the four walls. Let's get this message out of the four walls. Let's get this experience out of the four walls. It's very parallel. If you'll stay with me, it's very parallel. And while men of God are preaching their guts out, and while men of God night after night are walking to the pulpit, and they're beckoning, and they're calling, and they're pulling, and they're pleading, and uh, they are bargaining with the bride of Christ. I'm not saying this spirit is here, but I'm telling you where it is very apparent in many other places. I am afraid that the bride of Christ has sat at the king's table for so long. I'm afraid that she's been blessed and lived in the presence of the king so many days that she's become set in her ways. She's become stiff-necked and stubborn in her lifestyle. I'm watching too many people that refuse to move under the preached word of God. I'm watching too many churches that are not moving under the preached word of God. But I want to preach to this life church tonight. If we are going to please the king, if we are going to be favored, if we are going to be the chosen bride, it's going to be because when the man of God walks to the pulpit and he begins to preach what displeases or what pleases the king, that we will respond accordingly. If you've not already picked up the gist of what I am comparing and drawing a parallel to is this. We live in a kingdom. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. The church of the living God is the bride of this kingdom. It is the light that is to shine in this darkness that we live in today. If you're not seeing the parallel yet, I am paralleling the keeper of the house to every pastor, to every preacher. If you don't understand what I'm preaching tonight, I'm telling you, if there's anybody in this house that knows what displeases and pleases the king, it's the keeper that God has chosen to keep this house. You better thank God every day of your life for a pastor. You better thank God every day of your life for a man of God. You better thank God every day of your life for a preacher that will preach the unadulterated truth of the Word of God. Hallelujah. I want this church, whether you're new or whether you're old, whether you're first generation or you're fourth or fifth generational, we need to freshen up on this. We need to understand the Browns are more than just people that are in Pasadena making a, a living. They're more than people that are just coming to this church to pay their bills. Pastor Brown is more than the guy whose green car sets at this church all the time. He's more than just the man that does what nobody else wants to do. He's more than 
just the man that preaches in this pulpit two or three times a week. Sister Brown is more than just the first lady of this house. It is critical for us to understand. God has called them as the keepers of this house. You've got to understand these people are called by God. They know what pleases, displeases the king that has placed them over this house. But I see too many men that are dealing with rebellion. I see too many men that are dealing with people that are stubborn. I'm seeing too many men that are pastors, too many pastors' wives that are dealing with spirits of humanity that are stubborn and set in their ways and their human will is overridden. Uh, a heart that is soft and tender and pliable. Listen to what I'm saying today. We cannot afford to get the spirit of Vashti. We cannot afford as the body of Christ to get the spirit of Vashti. We cannot be favored and be stubborn. We cannot be favored and be self-centered. We cannot be favored and refuse to be obedient to the keeper of this house. God, help us understand this. If the man of God stands in this pulpit and he preaches something, God, help us to understand that that is the words that we hang on. Those are the things that we know he's speaking that the king likes or that he dislikes. God help me. I don't feel like I'm making sense here tonight. This is a revelation. I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm communicating it the way it needs to be communicated. Just hang on with me here. The king, he knocked at the door. He carried a word from the king. The keeper of that house, seven different preachers walked to the door of that bride and she would not move. She would not change. She would not be obedient. Hear me. When the man of God brings something to this pulpit, I don't care how long you've done it. If the man of God says we're not doing that anymore, more. Hey, you've got to hang that up. You've got to quit that. You've got to chalk that up as, well, apparently that doesn't please the king. And if the keeper of my house says we're not going to do that at Life Church, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not participating in that more. If the keeper of the house comes to the pulpit and says, I believe this will please the king, or I believe this will bring favor, I believe we're going to do this as a church, you've got to hang it up on that that says, okay, that's the keeper of this house. And if he says that's what pleases the king in this house, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to set on him. I'm not going to be rebellious. As the keeper of this house, this man down here on this front row at times is going to have to preach standards. He's going to have to preach guidelines. He's going to have to preach fences. He's going to have to preach restrictions. He's going to have to preach against sin. He's going to have to preach against some of our ways as humanity. But God help every one of us when he gets on our toes or he gets in our house or he gets in our closet or he gets in our magazine rack or he gets in our CD player and he begins to pick apart and he begins to get way down to where we're living that we can be obedient and tender and uh, that we can be quick to change under the words of the keeper of the house clap your hands to the Holy Ghost I'm afraid we're in trouble because she still lived in the king's house. She still ate at the king's table. And she still wore the king's apparel. But her spirit had become rotten. God forbid that holiness is right on the outside. And we justify. We justify our spirits and our attitudes and our stubbornness and our rebellion. Because we got the dress code down. I want you to understand there's more to living for God than a dress code. There's more to living for God than standards. God wants you to have a right spirit. God 
God wants you to be pliable. God wants you to be obedient. God wants you to hear the words of the keeper of your house. What are you saying? I know this is old-fashioned. Some of you looking at me like a bunch of hoot owls sitting in a tree. Folks, I want you to understand, if we're going to be saved, we've got to understand something about submission. If we're going to be saved, we've got to understand that we're only going to be saved by the foolishness of preaching. Is there anybody in this house that's thankful that God's given you a pastor? Is there anybody in this house that's thankful that God has given you a man of God in your life? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I see a lot of people. They've got the king's apparel on. They come to the king's house. They're about the king's business. But they've allowed their spirit to sour. They become rebellious. They become set in their ways. God, never let me get to the place that I'm not quick to respond to the preached word. God, help me never get to the place that I'm not quick to be obedient to the keeper of this house that God has given me. Has she not forgotten that these chamberlains knew what it took to please and displease him? She not lived in the, she lived in the kingdom so long that she lost the desire to please him. This is not about Pastor being a dictator. This is not about rules and restrictions. This is not about cramping our lifestyle. Ultimately, this is about pleasing Him. And when she was not submitted to the authority of that kingdom, ultimately, it was directly against pleasing the king of that kingdom. Well, when she refused to be obedient, when she would not listen to the keeper of the house, keepers of the house. King said, she may be living in my house, maybe eating at my table, she may have my apparel on. But if she don't have a spirit of submission, and if she's not pliable, and if she's not quick to obedient, be obedient, I have no use for her. You said you wanted God to favor you. I'm going to show you. This is old school, but I'm going to show you. I'm still in the Word of God, and this is what it takes to be favored. This is what it takes to be blessed by God. For her to be queen, that lets me know that somewhere in her past, she had had a desire to please the king. It lets me know that somewhere in her past, she hadn't always been stubborn and rebellious. It lets me know somewhere in her past, she hadn't always been set in her ways and stiff-necked. Somewhere... Back down the road, she had listened and hung on to the words of the keeper of the house. And the minute that she was no longer obedient, the minute that she refused to reveal her beauty and her light, the king said, she is no more any good to me. So, we got one bride that is refused because of her refusal to be obedient to the keeper of the house. It's time to find another bride. Who will he choose? Who will he bless? Who will be the one that will take the place of Vashti? 
What bride will it be? What spirit will she portray? Brown, if you would, should you help me get us to chapter number? Verse number 15. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king, she required nothing. Stop, stop. Now, there is a line. They're trying to find a bride that is qualified. Or they're trying to find a young lady that is qualified to be the next queen or the next bride of the king Ahasuerus. It's Esther's turn. While there are all so many that have so many things right... What is the one thing that separates Esther from the other qualified young ladies to be the bride, the next bride of that kingdom? Now, remember, Vashti was dismissed because of her refusal to be obedient to the keeper of the house. Listen, listen to the spirit of Esther. Read again. She required what? She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain. Wait a minute. There's that word again. The Bible says she required nothing. Esther required nothing but the words of the keeper of the house. Nothing. Nothing else mattered to Esther but the words of the keeper of that house. Is anybody with me right now? Are we awake out there? Now, while one, while one bride was dismissed because she refused to be obedient to the keeper of the house, the next bride is chosen because nothing else matters to her but the words of the keeper of that house. What are you saying? The spirit of Esther was this. I understand more than anybody in this kingdom. You know what he likes, what he dislikes, what pleases him and what displeases him. Esther had a revelation that if anybody in that kingdom knew what it was going to take to please him, it was the keeper of his house. And she said, I don't care what anybody else is saying. I don't care what other churches are preaching. I don't care what other kind of voices are in this world. The only voice that I am tuned into is the voice of the keeper of this house. Am I, am I making sense? Nothing. Nothing else. Somebody say nothing. I don't think you're understanding the magnitude. Nothing else mattered to her. We have got to get back to the place. Now, this is old school. You won't, you won't find this in your modern-day books of how to build a church. But I'm going to tell you something. This worked in the old days. It worked in the book of Acts. And it's what it's going to take to build an apostolic church today. We have got to have a revival of old-fashioned submission where nothing else matters to her or matters to us but the words of the keeper of this house. Preach to me, man of God. My ears are open. My spirit is pliable. I want to know what it takes to please Him or displease Him. 
I'm, I'm, up, I'm up against something here tonight. I'm not after a man or a woman or a family. There is a spirit. is the spirit of this world. It's not just the spirit I'm fighting right now. It's the spirit of this world. Every man is his own man. Every woman is his own woman. Nobody wants anybody to tell him what to do. Nobody wants to submit to any kind of authority. I want to tell you tonight, if you are going to be blessed and favored by the king, if you are going to have revival in these last days, it's going to be because you understand something about submission to authority. Nothing else mattered to her. That was the thing that caused Vashti to be dismissed, and it was the very thing that caused Esther to enter into her place. Just the simplicity of being obedient to authority. When a man fills his pulpit, it's not just another preacher. It's not just another speaker. When your pastor walks to this desk on Sunday morning, it's not just Sunday morning Bible study. When he walks to this desk on Wednesday night, it's not just Wednesday night Bible study. God help us get a revelation that when he opens his mouth, that at that point nothing else should matter to us because he is speaking the words from the king of what it takes for us to displease, to please or to displease. Read some more, Brother Brown there, Esther. Look. From her spirit. Look, from this spirit of submission. Look what stems from the spirit of submission. Esther 2 and 15. Nothing else, Ruth. Said, uh, required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the woman, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So wait, Esther. Wait, wait. Is anybody hearing this? Esther obtained favor. Everybody that looked upon her, she was favored. Why was she favored? She was favored because of her spirit of submission. She was favored because of her pliableness. She was favored because of her willingness to really key in on what the keeper of that house had to say about what pleased and displeased the king. Read on. Read verse number 17. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Everybody that looks upon her face, she's favored. She's loved above all women, grace and favor in her direction. And the Bible says that the royal crown is set upon her head. The crown was removed from one bride... Because of her stubbornness and her unwillingness to obey. The the crown was set on the next bride's head because of her willingness to submit and her willingness to be obedient. And nothing else mattered to her but the words of the keeper of that house. Do you know what the crown represented? It represented authority. I want you to understand something. There are only some things in your life that you will have authority over when you become submitted. If you keep the same spirit of unsubmission, you're going to keep battling the same demonic spirits that your family's that your family's fought for two or three different two or three different consecutive generations. If your spirit doesn't change, if you're still stuck in your ways, if you're still rebellious, if you're not still not obedient, to, I, I, folks. Let your guard down here tonight. I'm trying to show you a dimension of blessing. I'm trying to give you a revelation here tonight that if we could ever get a hold of it, this is the thing that triggers great revival in our cities and our churches. Everybody that looked upon her, she was favored by them. She was given authority. She was given dominion. She had grace and favor.
2 and 18. says, Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when stop, the bir- stop. What's, what's going on here? I must explain what's going on here. There were, there, there were actually provinces that were under penalty because of things they'd done to anger the king, whether it was tax issues or uh, several different issues it could have been, but they were under penalty. Because of this bride's spirit of submission, the king, his mercy is stirred up inside of him. Mercy stirred up inside him. He said, you know what? I'm not mad at them anymore. Release the penalty off of them. Loose the penalty off of them. They, they'll no longer live under restrictions. Free them. They're no longer to live under the, that rule or that penalty. Release them. And don't only release them while you go and send word that they're released and no longer under that bondage. Give them gifts while you're at it. Folks, if there is anything North America needs today, it's this right here. Because of her wickedness, because of her immorality, she is living under the penalty and the consequences of sin and the decisions she's made. But let it be said that there is a bride. Let it be said that there is a church that understands the seriousness of a spirit of submission. And that through our submission, King Jesus, His mercy could be stirred. And that this world could be released from the penalty that she's under because of the decisions she's made. And not only freed from the bondage of sin, but that gifts could be released. All stems, all goes back. It all stems from nothing else mattering to her but the words of the keeper of the house. He said, Free them. They're no longer to live under that penalty. They're free. And while you're freeing them, here, here's some gifts. I don't have time to go into all this stuff, but eventually what happens is, is there's a king, king stirred into her situation. Uh, eventually the enemy that was against her people was given in, it was put into her control uh, a, a, uh, chapter 8, verse number 1 says that the house of the enemy, Haman's house, was given to Esther. All, again, folks, all of this stems from her spirit of submission. Uh, Brother Brown, if you would, go to Esther chapter 8 and verse number 16. All of this started, all of this started at that pivotal point in two, chapter 2 and verse number 15 where I read to you that nothing else she required, nothing but the words of the keeper of this house. Then all of this stuff begins to fall in place. It's like a domino effect. Poof. All of these great things, all this great favor, all these great blessings, all these, uh, all these people and providences being impacted by one bride's spirit. Now read uh, verse number 16, chapter number 8, verse number 16. And the Jews had light in gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people watch, of the watch, land... Watch, watch, watch. Go real slow. I want them to hear this. And many of the people of the land, read, became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. 
And many of the people of the land became Jews. Folks, do you understand what that is? That is called conversion. Those are conversions. That's, that's what we call harvest. That's what we call harvest. That's what we call harvest. Quickly, I'm going to be redundant and run over it again. She was favored by all women. She was given grace and favor. The royal crown representing dominion and authority was placed upon her head. He released gifts under providences who were under penalty. He gave gifts under those providences. The king was stirred into her situation. The enemy was given into her control. The house of the enemy was given. His possessions were put into the hand of this bride that was submitted. And not only that, but this bride spirit actually caused and triggered conversion and harvest in the kingdom. Now, is there anybody in this place that would like to have favor? Is there anybody in this place that would like to have dominion and authority over spirits that abound this area? Is there anybody in this place that would like Jesus to release gifts? Release this America released this L.A. from the penalty that she's under because of her wickedness. Is there anybody that would like to see conversion in mass amounts? Is there anybody in this church that would like to see this place favored by the hand of God? God baptized us with a fresh spirit of submission. All of these things, you can come to the keyboard on this, all of these things were triggered from a one bride, from one bride, soft, pliable, willing spirit, obedient spirit. And then it just fired, just... North America is looking for a harvest. North American churches are looking for a harvest. North American churches are looking for a harvest that fills their churches. North America is looking for a harvest where we see hundreds and thousands and millions receive the Holy Ghost. But I submit to you that the harvest that North America is looking for will only follow the revival of submission. It's got to come back to the church. Help us understand that our pastors are the keepers of those specific houses. I want you to understand if there's things that's preached from this pulpit that you're not living. You cannot be blessed. If the keeper of this house has preached anything at any given moment and you have knowledge of it and you're not a, and you have not obeyed you can't be a chosen bride. You can come to this church three or four times a week, you can come down here every night and pray two hours. But if the keeper of this house has spoken things, or if the keeper of this house wife has spoken things to the ladies of this church. Oh, Brother March, it's so petty. It's just a... No, 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 no. You're going to make a big deal out of that? I'm telling you, if the man of God says that we're going to do it, or if the man of God says we're not going to do it, 
I don't care how small or how minute or how little or how great it may seem. If we want to be chosen, if we want to be favored, if we want to be blessed, we've got to be obedient to this pulpit. When are we going to get a revelation that it's not about the preacher being mean? We hadn't talked, but there's some things. There's some things this man's going to have to preach after I'm gone. There's some things. There's going to be times that he's going to have to enforce some things to keep infection and to keep sin and to keep carnality out of this church. Period. If this is an apostolic church, if Brother Brown, like he, like indeed he is, is an apostolic man of God, there's going to be times that there's going to be confrontation from this pulpit. There's going to be times that your human spirit's going to want to rise up against things that are said. But before you rise up, before you're rebellious, before you're disobedient, just remember when that man right there begins to speak from this pulpit, he's speaking what he has found in prayer pleases displeases, honors, dishonors, brings joy, brings sadness to the King that each and every one of us are attempting to serve. You say, well, he ain't said nothing to me about it. He shouldn't have to. I'm going to tell you something right now. One of the scariest things about this man's leadership is he's not he's, he is not going to be the spiritual cop of this church. He is not going to follow you around and enforce things that he preaches from this pulpit or that he lives and his wife live in their lifestyle. He's not going to follow you around everywhere you go making sure you're obeying. God didn't call him to be the spiritual policeman of Pasadena. He called him to be a shepherd. And shepherds lead, and when shepherds lead, sheep are supposed to follow. Now, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you what I know in prayer. Popular, not popular, make me a, uh, it, it doesn't make me any difference than I am, I'm going to tell you the truth. There are things that there are people under the sound of my voice here and are not here. There are other people that are not here tonight that need to be here, that need to hear what I'm saying. There are things as apostolic people that we do not do, and there's things as apostolic people that we do do that other people don't. And there's more to the kingdom of God than talking in tongues and hucking and bucking to the bass and the drums and the good music this church has. There's things that displease God. There's things that manufacture and create carnality that become obstacles ultimately to the things that we desire and we really want to embrace. And I'm telling this church, you hear me in the Holy Ghost, if he don't like this, he can correct it later. But one of the greatest enemies that this church is up against right now is your own self. It's your own self. Because there are some of you that I've justified, well, I got this big thing right and I got that big thing right. I've been baptized. There's more to this than being baptized in Jesus' name. 
There's more to this than being filled with the Holy Ghost. And it takes more than just getting the big things right. He said it's the little foxes. It's the little foxes. It's the little things you let go in your life that your conscience used to bother you about that the Bible says will spoil the entire vine. God, help us get back to the place that when the man of God fills this pulpit, we say, that's the keeper of this house. Okay, preach to me, man of God, because I want to please the king. I, I don't want to do anything that will grieve or displease him. I'm hanging on every word you're preaching to me. I'm hanging on every word you're telling me. This is what's going to bring a revival. I've traveled this country eight years. I see churches that are blessed. I see churches that are not blessed. I see people that are over, overwhelmed with the blessings of God. Always a similar sound and a similar spirit that's threaded through all of that. And it's a heart of true submission. Not doing it begrudgingly. Not doing it with a, whatever, okay. No, somebody that's happy. Somebody that's quick. What would happen if we'd start viewing preaching like this? What would happen if we started viewing preaching like this? There are some things. There is, there is some consecration. And we have visitors here tonight, and I understand that, and I will stay in my place. I will not get out of my place, but I'm telling you, there are some, there are some areas of consecration that we've got to shape up on. If it was wrong three or four years ago, why is it not wrong anymore? Just ask him, why is it not wrong anymore? If it displeased him three or four years ago, why all of a sudden does it not displease him anymore? Brother Marx is roughing us up. No, I'm, I feel like I'm being real nice. I'm trying to give you the slant on this is what happens if you don't. No, that's not the slant. I'm, I'm giving you the slant of this is what happens if you do. These are the great things that stem if you are obedient, if you are submitted, if you are quick to change, these are the things that happen. You don't have a pastor. If this man's nothing, if he's no more than just your preacher, you're in trouble. You're in danger. And the difference, well, I don't know if he's my pastor or my preacher. Well, the difference is the separation, whether or not he's just your pastor or preacher. You can, you can listen to just any, anybody can be a preacher to you. If he's your pastor, he's somebody that it's more than preaching, but it's something that you're allowing to get in your spirit and to change you and revolutionize your life in the direction that you're headed. Well, we're bouncing off the walls tonight, aren't we? You said you wanted to be chosen. You said you wanted to be favored. Don't tell me that a man or a woman or a family spirit does not matter. Her spirit was the thing that got one bride kicked out and a right spirit is what put another bride in her place. Our spirit and our will and our willingness to obey is so critical. 
Now, we got some people here tonight that have come to receive the Holy Ghost. We're, we're going to pray. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. This is something you need to chew on. And as much as I've butchered it up tonight and struggled, God only knows why I've struggled through this tonight, but you need to, to get the tape and, and try to make your way again through this butchered mess that I've made here tonight and glean the concepts that I'm trying to preach to you. Glean the concepts. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be favored. We've got to have a spirit of submission. God is not going to continue to allow people to stand up in defiance against the pulpit. I want us to stand. Got to have a preacher. Anybody think? Anybody thankful for the preacher in your life? I want you to pray for someone next to you. It's appropriate, and I want you to pray all over the place that God would help us get this. For God to give us a spirit of true submission. To our visitors, just just hang tight. I want you to pray for that person next to you. I want you to pray, God, help us understand the importance of submission. Come on, young people. Come on, young people. I'm not going to live one thing in church and another thing when I leave. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either pleasing or it's displeasing. It's either honorable or dishonor. Change us, Jesus. Change our spirits. Change our mindsets, our mind frame. Come on, help me get a revelation. This is not Rich. This is not Tamara. This is Pastor Brown. This is Sister Brown. These are people that we are to honor. These are people that we are to hold up. These are people that we are to pray for. They are, these are people that God has placed in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, give me a spirit of submission. Help me understand the importance of having a pastor. Help me understand the importance of being obedient. We miss this, we miss it all. If we don't get this, we don't have anything.
God, give me a burden. Help me to check myself. God, if there's things in my life that are displeasing to you, please speak to my pastor. Please let him preach something in a message. If I'm doing something that displeases you, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I've got to have a pastor. I've got to have authority in my life. Alright, now I want us just to begin to worship God. Just raise your hands and let that prayer now begin to break out into worship. If you're, if you're here, if you're here and you've come tonight to receive the to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I want you to I want you to step out and come around the front. If you're if you're here and you've come to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost tonight. Praise God. If you're here and you've I want everybody to Pray right now. Everybody pray. If you're here and you've come to receive the Spirit of God tonight, you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I want you to just step out of your pew, come around the front right here. Everybody, I want you to begin to pray with me right now. Everybody that wants to receive the Holy Ghost, everybody wants to receive the Holy Ghost, I want you to come to the front right now. God's going to, everybody that wants it, that will. That will come down. God's going to feel you right now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to, how many believe God can fill this young lady with the Holy Ghost? We're all going to repent together. Repentance is that turning away, the about face, turning our back to the world and the way that we've been. 
After we get through repenting, we're going to begin to worship. The Spirit of God's going to fall on this young lady. I'm going to lay my hands on her head. And when I do, God's going to fill her with the Holy Ghost. Anybody believe that right now? I want everybody that will right now, I want you to take somebody's... Take somebody by the hand, and I'm going to begin to lead us through repentance. Young lady, just begin to repent right now. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive us, wash us, cleanse us, purify us. Forgive me for anything I've thought, anything I've said, anything I've done. God, anything that I have done that I don't have knowledge that I've done. I'm asking you to forgive me, God. I'm asking you to wash me. I'm asking you to cleanse me. God, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Let your blood cover. Let your blood cover my sins. Let your blood cover my sins. Let your blood cover my sins, Jesus. Wash us as a people. Cleanse us as a people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want your spirit in my life. I want your spirit in my life. Okay. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give the instructions. Here we go. According to Scripture, if you ask God to forgive you of your sins, He's forgiven you. Now, I want you to begin to praise God for forgiving you of your sins. Now, wait. As you begin to praise Him, you're going to begin to feel funny in your mouth. According to Scripture, we have Scripture. We'll show you after service. We have Scripture that when someone receives the Holy Ghost, that there's always evidence. There's always a sign. In the New Testament, when they receive the Holy Ghost, they begin to speak in a language that they didn't understand. Your tongue's going to begin to feel funny. When I lay my hands on you or somebody begins to pray with you, I want you to begin to let that go and begin to speak that out. And the Spirit of God is going to fill your life. Right now, I want you to begin to praise God. Come on, begin to praise God. Begin to praise God. Begin to praise God. Praise God. Pray for somebody standing next to you. Come on, pray for somebody standing next to you. Somebody release your faith in this house.
Let's stand together. Let's just lift up our hands. I think this song says, I worship you. you for what God is doing, has done, and is going to continue to do in your lives. And I want to say thank you uh, to Brother Marks for ministering the word of the Lord to us. And, uh, you know, I'm not an old man. I'm, I'm fairly young still, uh, although I'm almost middle-aged now. Thirty-five is, is about middle-aged, so. Uh, but <laughs> one thing that I've, I've noticed and and. Brother Elms, elders here with us tonight. I think he can concur with this in his pastoring for many years and my years of observing in a pastor's home and, and now as a pastor. Is that um, there's something essential in making it living for God. And it is a sensitivity to correction. And I have observed people for whatever reason, maybe it's because of the amount of time they've been in church, the amount of knowledge that they have of Scripture, the amount of insight into things that they have or they think that they have, to begin to become hardened and resistant to correction from the Spirit, to correction from the pulpit, to correction from the Word of God. And it's almost as if they're off the Brothers and sisters, if there's one thing I've observed, it's when that happens in a person's life, it's almost like they're a hopeless situation. You want to see somebody that's going to make it to heaven, it's somebody who has that willingness to open up to what God is trying to say to them and God is trying to speak to them. That constant 
everlasting understanding of our frailty. Are you with me? And our need to hear from God. And our need for correction. And our need for an altar. And I say this with emotion because I see people who outgrow the need for an altar. And I worry for them because I know their chances are slim. So saints of God, doesn't matter how long I've been serving God, doesn't matter how long I've been pastoring, I want to have a spirit that says, God, I know that I still have the tendency, the propensity, and the capacity to get off track. And I know I need to hear a thundering word from God. And if I get the wrong spirit when the thundering word from God comes, then I'm in trouble. And I don't care how long I've been serving God, I want Him to be able to correct me through the word of God, through the foolishness of preaching. And if so, then I know that I have a chance to be saved.